Well, good morning to you in Maranatha. Our Lord comes. This morning, I want us to talk about the doctrine of salvation. I want us to discuss how and why. Why you need it. And let me tell you, you absolutely need it. There's a heaven to gain. There's a heaven. There's, there's a heaven to gain and there's a hell to avoid. And there's only one way to avoid that hell. Only one way, one truth, one life. There's no other name under heaven. It's only through Jesus Christ that we can have that salvation. It's only through Christ that we can experience that justification. It's only through Christ Jesus that we can know that redemption that we have in Christ Jesus. So often, and I'm finding this out more and more as we, I believe, living in the last days of this present dispensation, so often people have no idea of what salvation really is. They confuse it with being religious with being good people. But there's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. So many people go through religious rituals, but they simply do not know God. They've never had that personal experience where by faith they've done exactly what God requires in order for them to know Him personally. There's no victory in their lives. There's no power in their, li their lives. There's no excitement in their relationship with God, and God invites them to have that excitement, that power, that relationship. For so many of them are just going through the motions of churchanity. Maybe you know some folks like that. But they're really not understanding salvation and what it is that God offers to all by His marvelous grace. They do what He requires. And you've already heard some of that already today. What God requires is that by faith we believe that Christ down on the cross was buried and rose again. And we acknowledge that there's absolutely no work, no deed, no effort that we can do to satisfy God's righteous requirements, but by faith we believe that what Christ did, the work that He accomplished, the important thing is to understand that salvation is by a work. As Pat pointed out to me this week in an email or a Facebook post, I can't remember now what it is. And it gladdens a pastor's heart when he sees things like this from his people where he says, he talks about salvation, but it was the work of Christ not mine. So many folks don't understand that Christianity is not a religion. It's all about the relationship that God invites us to have with Him. Religion is based on, as we've talked about so many times, religion is based on man's efforts to appease God, to make God happy with them by their efforts, by their deeds, by their attempts to say, look at what I'm doing, God. Doesn't this make you happy with me? I'm going, through the, I'm, I'm going through the rituals. I'm going through the sacraments. I'm going through all of these efforts in order to satisfy you. Aren't you happy with me? And all the while, what Christianity is, is believing that God's only Son has already accomplished that payment. God's only Son has already paid that debt. And what God requires is that we, by faith, believe that Christianity is truly God reaching down in love and mercy and grace and doing what man cannot do for himself and God reaching down and saving us. 
saving those who believe. See, religion is man trying to climb or lift himself up. If you just imagine a ladder and mankind trying, each rung is a good deed and trying to, to work his way up to that holiness. God, as Denny said, holiness Holy is, is being high and lifted up. And it's man trying to reach God on God's level through effort and deeds and works. And you can't do it because the rungs just won't, <laughs> won't get you there. Because of who we are. Because of who fallen mankind is. But God took it upon himself to become man in the flesh. Christ Jesus, God incarnate, paid the debt. So this morning, what is salvation? What is reconciliation? What does it really mean to be saved? We need to understand this doctrine. We need to understand this wonderful gift. And once we understand that wonderful gift, we understand that nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Because we didn't do anything to gain it. For those who are in Christ, there is now no condemnation. What a perfect salvation. Aren't you glad this morning that it's not dependent upon what you do? It's not dependent upon your efforts to maintain your salvation? Because folks, not only could you not do it, your pastor couldn't do it. In Acts chapter 16. And what we need to know about salvation is salvation, true salvation, being in Christ, changes your absolute standing before God. As a matter of fact, that's the only thing that changes your standing before God. When by faith you come to Christ on His grounds and do what He says, your standing before God changes completely. You go from being in Adam to being in Christ. You go from being lost to being redeemed. You go from being in the first Adam, the guy that caused this mess, that started all of this nonsense by his rebellion to by faith being put in the one who was wonderfully happy to do the will of the Father. Where Adam rebelled, the last Adam, Christ Jesus, said, I came to do the will of the Father. The only things he spoke, he says, are what the Father has told him to say. He was absolutely obedient even to the death on the cross. You talk about perfect submission. The Christ Jesus that we love and that we preach and that we proclaim was the perfect Lamb of God. In Acts chapter 16, verse 31, the Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas. Remember, Paul and Silas were in, uh, in Philippi, and they got cast into prison. And that, they didn't just get cast into prison. They got thrown into the inner prison. And I'm sure it really stunk down there. I'm sure it was really miserable down there. And not only were they in a deep, dark, danky, yucky place, but they were in chains. And I guarantee you, you know what I would have been doing? I'd have been complaining. I'd have been saying, God, you put me here. I've been serving you. I've been doing what you wanted me to do. I'm, why, you must not love me. But you know what Paul and Silas did instead? They prayed and sang praises to God, even in those conditions. And you effect was the effect was the Philippian jailer said sirs what must I do to be saved Paul says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved 
and thy house. Basically, this goes for your house also. Nothing about the law, nothing about works, nothing about deeds, nothing about his efforts. It's all about believing in what Christ Jesus accomplished on Calvary's cross, believing the gospel that he died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. And these Philippian jailers, they were pretty mean, nasty people. They weren't very sensitive individuals. They weren't known for their sensitivity. They were known for their cruelty. But in that moment, this man's life was changed. Look at Romans chapter 10. If you'd been coming to Romans Bible study, you would already know this. Romans chapter 10. Start with verse 5. Romans chapter 10, verse 5. For Moses describes the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. Hey, you want to show that you're righteous? Do the law. Keep the law. There's a problem. They couldn't do it. Verse 6, such an important verse, folks. But the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise. See, and that's what, it, this is the point of Paul's message to the church in Rome. Righteousness has to do with the rightness of God. You want to be right before God. And we do, don't we? Righteousness has everything to do with being right before God. But the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise. Say not in thy heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above? Or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead? But what saith it? What he means by that is there's no further work involved. There's no other work needed. And he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 30 when the, the children of Israel are about to go into the land and Moses is reiterating to them the law. He's making sure, as a matter of fact, Deuteronomy means two. And it was the second time that he was giving them the law to make sure that they understood you're getting ready, been 40 years in the wilderness, you're getting ready to go into, uh, into cross over Jordan, you're, really, you're getting ready to go into the promised land. And I want to reiterate I want you to know what God expects. And so he quotes this verse. Moses says, and then Paul quotes it almost. Paul adds a different twist to it. Paul does not do an exact quote. And let me tell you something. It's okay for Paul to do that. We don't do that. We don't have the authority to do that. But the apostle Paul is getting the direct revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ I mean, he is the word, right? And so there's a little bit different twist that, that the Apostle Paul puts on that scripture, but, the, but the, the point is still there. Because they were saying, well, Moses is talking about the law, and basically they were asking, well, where do we get the law? And Moses was like, what? What? It's, it's in your mouth. It's... It's in your heart. It, I, I've been telling you these things all of these years. And you, 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 you can't get to... Don't go up and think you have to go into heaven to get it and bring it back. Don't think you have to cross an ocean to get it and bring it back. God has given it to you. Here it is. This is the reminder. There's nothing you need to do in order to access that law. That commandment that God requires you to keep, to know before you go into the promised land. Paul is using that same thought, that same principle, when he's talking about the law of the righteousness of faith. What must I do to be saved? 
But the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise, say not in thy heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above? Or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead? But what saith it? The word is nigh thee. Even in your mouth and in your heart is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. See, it's with the heart you believe unto righteousness, saved. You become a new creation. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. I know some folks have said, ah, see there, see there, there's a work you've got to confess. Well, if, that's, if a man has to confess to be saved, then people who can't speak can't be saved. So that's not really what it's talking about there. The, if they can't speak, they can't be saved. What Paul is talking about here is the man that believes unto righteousness. Guess what you're going to want to do if Christ Jesus has saved you, if you've been redeemed, if you're a child of God. What are you going to want to do? You're going to want to acknowledge it. You're going to want to make sure people know that you are a child of God, that you have been redeemed, that your life has been changed. That's what it says. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. I think, and that confession is not just standing up in church or walking down an aisle. That confession has to do with how you live your life on a daily basis. Your actions are confessing that I am changed. My life has been changed. I believe that Christ died for my sins. I am a new creation. See? See? I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. I know a lot of people say, well, how do I really know whether I'm saved or not? I don't, sometimes I just don't feel it. And I get that way too. Sometimes you just don't feel that excitement well, one of the ways you can tell is that you refuse to deny the Lord Jesus that you willingly regardless of your feelings regardless of how, what you're going through and the trials and the temptations you may not feel saved but you know that Jesus Christ is Lord of all you know that he died for your sins you know that he was buried you know that he rose again and regardless of your feelings you can't deny that point and by faith you believe that God has saved you. And again, it goes back to, it's not based on your efforts. It's not based on your works. It's not, well, I really feel saved because I went to church last Sunday. Well, I really feel saved because I really gave a lot in the offering. Or I really feel saved because whatever. The reason you can feel saved is because God's Word tells you that by faith you trust Christ Jesus. He makes you a new creation. And by faith you believe that. It has nothing to do with any kind of work you could perform. Nothing guarantees your salvation except the faithfulness of God. And you trust His faithfulness. It has nothing to do with your works and keeping yourself saved. It's Him who keeps you from falling. Aren't you glad of that this morning? I'm glad of that. I remember as a young Christian, uh, our church took a bunch of young people, which I was one. Wow, that was a long time ago. Took a bunch of us young people, we were part of the youth group, down to New Orleans. And that was an eye-opening experience. Wow. I heard people sin, but I never understood till you go down to New Orleans. But we went witnessing down to, to New Orleans, and we went down Bourbon Street, uh, there in the French, I forget now what's called, French Quarter or whatever. And um, going down Bourbon Street, and we were witnessing tracks and doing all sorts of Fun things. And it, 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 
it really was an experience. And I remember there was a young man coming to me, about the same age as I was, and he was coming toward me, and, and I said, uh, hey, can I talk to you for a second? And he stopped, and, sir? And I said, I, I said uh, you want to be saved? I hadn't had a lot of experience at that point. You want to be saved? And his response was, from what? Saved from what? He said, I don't need saving from anything. What makes you think you can save me? Well, you know, he really at that point he was scoffing and he was saying some of those things in a very ridiculing, ridiculing manner. And he sort of rolled his eyes and he kind of laughed and more of a scoff and, and started walking off. And I said, from hell, from hell. Don't you want to be saved from, from hell? And he just laughed that much more. It wasn't interesting. Well, it wasn't interested at all. But that really was a good question on his part. From what? And I needed to be more prepared to answer his from what? This week I, I uh, saw a song. And so I even decided to listen to it on YouTube. And the name of the song was, We'll Have Good Company in Hell. That's the name of the song. We'll Have Good Company in Hell. And I think it was, the group's called Death South or South Death or something. I don't recommend it. Don't, don't, don't worry. I don't go there. I just listened to just a little bit of it. And it's heartbreaking to think that that is the mindset of so many individuals. I've heard people, I've had people tell me, I want to go to hell because that's where all my friends are going to be. Well, they just think so. They just think so. And you know, I've thought about that guy on Bourbon Street a lot, a lot since then. And we're talking about 1968, 69, something like that when we went down. I've thought about him a lot. And I often wonder if he's still alive. I often wonder if that was a planting of a seed. If God used that opportunity to water what someone else had already planted. And at some point in his life, he heard the gospel. I mean, I didn't even get a chance to share the gospel with him. But at some point, he came to know Christ as his Savior. But more horrifying is he in hell this very moment, remembering, remembering, remembering that lost opportunity. That just, that bothers me. It has all these years. So I've just, Lord, I, I just trust him to you. But can you imagine how, not only is the torture and the torment and, and the reality of hell a, a horrible thing to think of, but those who are in hell Remembering those opportunities when somebody attempted to share the gospel with them and they rejected it and laughed and scoffed and didn't want to hang around. One of the things that I hope, one of the things that I hope does not happen in heaven. And, and there's no scripture to bear it out. But I sincerely hope that at the great white throne judgment that those of us saved, that we're redeemed, that heaven is our home, eternal life in heaven is ours. I hope we're just, I hope God sends us off to be doing something else. Because I don't want 
to be at the white throne judgment witnessing what's going to be going on there. Because I have such a, a desire not to be there watching things. Watching, because at the great white throne, that's where the resurrection of the unjust takes place. That's where the lost of all the ages stand and they get a new body. That, at, the, at the great white throne, there's, there's a resurrection. The rapture is our resurrection, but then there's the resurrection of the just and there's the resurrection of the unjust. The resurrection of the just takes place at the end of the tribulation period and the resurrection of the just, those saints go into the, to the millennial kingdom to enjoy all those blessings and privileges that have been promised to Israel. That's the resurrection of the just. The resurrection of the unjust, even those who are lost, even those who are in Hades this very moment, they too will receive a bodily resurrection. Resurrection of the unjust. To stand and give an answer there at the great white throne. And all of those who are not found written in the Lamb's book of life are casted to the lake of fire, which God's Word calls the second death. The second death. These, those who have been bodily resurrected at the great white throne are cast into the lake of fire. And it is horrifying to me. And this has motivated me for years. I don't want to be there observing and have someone that I may have known look up at me and go, you knew? You knew? And you didn't share? To me, that just, that's heart-wrenching. And I think about that guy often. Did he ever come to know the Lord? There's two aspects of salvation. And by the way, times have changed. You know, when I was in high school and went off to college, if you go sing and you go up to somebody and say hey can I talk to you about your salvation are you saved they knew exactly what you were talking about you, you know it, they used to they knew what you were talking about nowadays they're clueless they're clueless when you go to share the gospel the only thing they know about the name of God is how it's used in a cuss word But there are two aspects of salvation. There's the definition that Webster gives, and that is the deliverance from sin and the penalty of sin. And that's pretty important, wouldn't you say? I mean, deliverance from the penalty of sin. Have any of you ever sinned? I can raise both hands. Ralph, raise both hands. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Since because we've all sinned, we all need a Savior. Right? Aren't you glad, for all of you who have sinned, aren't you glad that that penalty has been paid? That's what salvation is. Aren't you glad that the debt that you owed for the wages of sin is death? Aren't you glad that that penalty has been paid in full? And boy, aren't you glad you did all those works in order to earn it? No. But aren't you glad by faith you came to the Lord Jesus Christ? Thank you for paying the debt that I owe. And by faith believing that He is the way, the truth, and the life. Salvation is the debt has been paid. Deliverance from the sin and the penalty of sin. Not performing good works, not observing rituals and sacraments, but by faith 
trusting in the work of Christ on Calvary's cross. So you've got two, one coin. On one side of that coin, there is the, the deliverance from the penalty of sin. Boy, that is just, that is marvelous. You turn it over, and the other side of that coin is the restoration to favor with God. The other side of that coin is God's invitation for you to have a personal relationship with Him. It's what salvation is all about. Just the joy of knowing Him. Yes, when I first got saved, I got tell you, I was glad that my sins were forgiven, that I was made a new creation. I was so thrilled that I knew that I wasn't going to hell, not because of my good works, but because I believed by faith that Jesus died for my sins. And I was ecstatic that I wasn't going to die and go to hell. But the longer, the longer I live... And the more I search the Scriptures, the more that I study and realize who God is, the more just the plain joy of knowing Him makes it worthwhile. It is such a privilege, a joy, to have that glorious relationship with my God, with my Savior, with the one who redeemed me. And it just gets sweeter and sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Amen. Being forgiven, that's really a small aspect. In my, at this point, I can say that. Because the invitation is for me to know Him. What a joy that is. The penalty of sin, according to Romans 6.23, is the wages of sin is death, both physical and spiritual. According to Romans chapter 5, verse 12, by one man sin entered and death by sin. Again, thanks, Adam. James 2.26 tells us that what death literally is, it's the separation of the body from the spirit. It's what death is. Now, this is important. And we're about to run out of time, but I want to make sure you understand this. According to James 2.26, what constitutes death is when the body and the spirit separate. And the question that man needs to answer is, is that has that spirit been regenerated has that spirit been quickened or is it dead because a lost man is dead in sin and trespasses and the difference is is when a believer dies his body's dead but that spirit it has been quickened by God and it belongs to God and only God can quicken that spirit spiritual death Spiritual death really is a separation of it, when a person is lost, the spiritual death is no longer having a relationship with God. And that's what happened with Adam in the garden, remember? Adam was in the garden, and God says, don't do this. The day you do this, you're going to die. Adam did it anyway. He rebelled against God, and Adam fell, and the first question in the Old Testament, the very first question in the Old Testament is God in the garden after Adam sinned, after Adam rebelled against God and did exactly what God told him not to do was what? Adam, where are you? Where are you? Now, God knew where Adam was. What that signifies is that a separation had taken place. The day, God says, the day you do that, you shall die. That signifies that Adam became a fallen individual, separated from that personal, wonderful, glorious relationship he had with God the Father. Actually, with the Lord Jesus Christ himself walking in the garden, I believe. Adam, where are you? First question in the Old Testament. <laughs> You know what the first question in the New Testament is? 
See, in Matthew chapter 2, when the wise men say, where is he that's king of the Jews? Where's the deliverer? Where's the savior? Wow. First question concerned the first Adam in the Old Testament. First question in the New Testament is where's the last Adam? Showing God's perfect redemption story. God warned Adam, don't you do it. But Adam did it and he died spiritually. And sin came upon all. Sin came upon all by one man. To be spiritually dead is to be separated from the presence of God for all eternity. And where does that person go? Eventually to the lake of fire. There's a difference between the lake of fire and Hades. And one of these days we'll do a study on on that. But right now when a person dies, they go to Hades waiting for Hades and death to be delivered up and cast into the lake of fire. God's word speaks of the lake of fire being the place that's prepared for the devil and his angels. Revelation verse 20, or Revelation 20 verse 5 says, And whosoever was found not written in the Lamb book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Liberal preachers, I don't care if you don't believe there's a literal hell. God's book tells me there is. Matthew 25 verse 41 says, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire. Matthew 25 46 and these shall go away unto everlasting punishment. Mark 9, 44 through 48, three times in that portion of Scripture, it talks about hell being a place of fire, never quenched, anguish, pain, and suffering. Hell is real. Hell is real. But the salvation that God offers in Christ is much more real. It's much more than you will ever imagine. We need to be saved from the penalty of sin, that eternal separation. And the only way to do that is through Christ Jesus. The world says the loving God would never condemn anyone to hell. He'd never send anyone to hell. Well, John 3.18 says that, that man's condemned already. God doesn't condemn anyone to hell. Just by virtue of their relationship with Adam, they're condemned already. See, the, the, the question is not, does God condemn any man to hell? And people say, well, why would a loving God do that? Why would a loving God send anyone to hell? That's not the question that I ponder. The question I ponder is why would someone reject a loving God? That's the question I ponder. Not why would God send someone to hell? And basically you send yourself by rejecting His love and grace and mercy and the salvation that He offers. But when a person believes by faith God's Word tells us that they are made alive by God. And real quick, this is important, folks. We need to understand that we've been created in the image of God, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I believe that man is a trichotomy. I believe that man has a Man has a soul, and man has a spirit. Many, many scriptures that talk about, that that distinguish those three. I mean, the body, we know what that is. The soul, I think that's the seat of emotion. That's the seat of consciousness. That's where our thinking takes place. That's the soul. That's sort of that, uh, that aspect of man that causes him to think and ponder. Spirit is that thing, that glorious thing, that because of the fall is dead. That spirit is the thing that God desires to have a relationship with. 
And when it says that we're dead in sin and trespasses, it's that spirit that has been quenched. It was because of the fall, and it's because of what took place in the garden. And until that is quickened, that person is lost. How many times have you heard a person say, oh, I'm a good person? No doubt. I think the soul enables a person to be a good person. I think the soul enables a person to be... uh, help humanity and to build hospitals and to build clinics and to and to help orphanages and and I think the soul in you hear all the time that person is a good person see the 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 soul will allow a person to be good although God's word says there are none good no not one we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God By the world standards, you can say that person is a good person, but you know what? The world standards aren't going to get you to heaven. The world standards are going to leave you a really good person lost in hell. What God's Word calls for us is to trust Christ. For, For the wages of sin is death. Romans 6, 23. This morning, aren't you glad it doesn't stop there? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. The wages of sin, death, but the gift. What a wonderful Savior. And only He can restore us 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's the work of Christ. Romans chapter 4 verse 25 says that we were delivered, that he, that he was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Galatians 3.13 tells us that He was made a curse for us by hanging on a cross. Oh, He paid the debt. Now, folks, that's not to say, oh, whew, boy, I'm not saved by works. I don't have to do any. You don't have to do any for your salvation. But what does God's Word say? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we go, Yahoo, that's great. But we are God's workmanship created unto what? Good works. Let me tell you something. You love God, you're going to want to serve Him. You love God, you're going to want to be counted as those that say, I claim the name of Jesus. I claim the name of the one who has saved me and made me his own. My heart's desire is to serve the one who paid it all. As he restores us to that beautiful, wonderful relationship that we can have with the perfect Lamb of God. One more story. I told you about the one guy that I met in New Orleans. I wonder where he is today. wonder. But on the way back from New Orleans, we stopped in Atmore, Alabama, at a little small Baptist church there, and the, the, our youth choir and all of us, we, we, were, we were there to preach and to share, and uh, we did that in the church, and when we were done, it was time to get back on the bus and head back to Millbrook, Alabama, and... and we were all hungry, our stomachs were growling, and it was time to eat something. And there was a tasty freeze in Atmore, Alabama. And so that bus pulled in, and, and we all piled out to go order our hamburgers. And, boy, it had been a great revival there at that little church. Oh, man, it was just, it was something else. And uh, as we were piling out of the bus and filing into that little tasty freeze uh, to order Burgers, no mask required. I remember that. And and as we were piling into that restaurant, the preacher, Don Gordy, was on his phone, and he was telling his wife, wow, what a great revival. This has been so exciting. And 
And what I had not seen as we got off the was there's a whole bunch of teenagers next to the parking lot right next to the Tasty Freeze. And they were all sitting over there on their, on their cars and on their tailgates of their trucks. And, you know, this was back in the late 60s. And, you know, they still had their T-shirts rolled up and their bobby socks. And, and they, they looked like a bunch of hoodlums to me. They didn't look nearly as clean cut as we did. And they looked pretty scary. And the preacher, he stuck his head out the door just as I happened to be the one going past him. He stuck his head out and he said, Ricky, go over and talk to those boys. <laughs> and it was like, oh, I'm hungry. <laughs> go talk to those boys. And I didn't want to. I remembered what had happened in New Orleans. And so I, I, I went over there. And there was one kind of, he was propped up on his, I don't know, 55 Chevy. I don't know what it, now in my mind, it's, you know, it looked like Happy Days Part 2. And, and I started walking toward him. And there was a guy that was kind of sitting on the hood of his car. And as I walked there, he, he sort of slid down. And he looked at me, and, and I said, hey, you want to be saved? I, I you know, didn't work there. I, maybe it'll work here. I didn't know. And uh, he said, what are you talking about? I said, well, I wanted to tell you, I've got some great news for you. And I went through the plan of salvation with him. And all of his friends, I mean, he, he was probably one of the oldest boys there. And all of his friends were around him, and, and he was, uh, they, they were listening to what was being said. And as soon as I mentioned the Lord Jesus, oh, a whole bunch of them went, oh, man. And they turned around and they walked off. But he didn't. He said, well, tell me more. And so I went through the plan of salvation. About that time, some of the other cowards that, uh, that were with us, you know, they finally made their way up there, and, and they were all gathered around, and, and, uh, and I went through the plan of salvation with him, and I asked him, I said, do you, do you want to know the Lord Jesus as your Savior? And boy, tears just came to his eyes, and he said, I do, I do. He would have been the last one on that group, the last, the very last one that I thought, I wanted to find the littlest one. That's what I was actually looking for, but I, I wanted to find the one with, you know, arms about that big, and, and you know, boom, and I got, but it was this guy, made Fonzie look like a sissy, I'm telling you, and I said, will you get down on your knees, and I thought, boy, Osley, you're pushing it, in front of all of your friends, will you get down on your knees with us, and let's, Let's pray. Boom. And he prayed and he called out to God to save him. Now let me ask you, which group do you think, which two guys do you think the gladdest? Which, which two guys, if that one guy rejected and he's in hell versus the other guy that by faith believed, and he's in heaven. Do you think one rejects his decision and the other is glad he made that decision? <laughs> yeah, he's glad he made that decision. There's a heaven to gain. There's a hell to shun. And the only way to do that is by believing in the complete and finished work of Christ Jesus. Amen? It's not hard for us. As a matter of fact, it's easy for us to get saved. We believe. You say, well, yeah, but it's hard to live for him. No, it's not. 
It's the greatest joy of our lives. Regardless of what's coming down the pike, regardless of what's in store for us in the future, I got to tell you, I would not change my relationship with Christ Jesus for anything. Nothing could turn me back now. Nothing could make me regret believing in the one who loves me so much that he was willing to go to such an extreme measure to purchase my redemption and pay the debt he knew that I could never pay and say, believe on me. Believe I did it for you. Believe that the tomb is empty for you. Believe that I was delivered for your sins. I was raised again so that you could be declared righteous. What a Savior. Let's pray. Father, We come before you right now and we just thank you so much for that salvation we have in Christ. We thank you for the doctrine of salvation. We thank you, Father, for the truth that we get to preach here in this present dispensation about your love and about your grace and about your mercy. Father, how thankful I am this morning that you looked beyond our faults and, oh, Father, there are so many. And you saw our need. And you met that need on Calvary's cross. And by faith we believe that you did it for us. Now, Father, help us to be bold as we share that truth with a world that needs to hear. Father, we come before you acknowledging that the world is going to reject. We come acknowledging that Satan has blinded their eyes to the glorious gospel. Father, we come acknowledging that it is not an easy task. Nevertheless, you have told us to be your ministers of the word of reconciliation. May we be bold in our witness. May we go places, may we say things, may we do things that show this lost world that you love them. And that they too can have that perfect salvation, that perfect relationship with you. Give us boldness, Father. In Christ's name we pray and ask. Amen.